excited? We haven't been doing this for a while. Yep. We gotta get back on, on track. Those people who accidentally click on us are lonely. Those 11 people, if even that. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Prefer Not To, sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Kate Matthews and Josh Lucas, as detailed by the Anglo-Britons of the Middle Ages on the Bayou Tapestry, I am, in fact, not Kate. As I recently discovered in a Discovery Channel documentary about the Bermuda Triangle, I'm not Josh. Yeah, which is good. Yep. So, every week Kate and I sample a cocktail, have a little cocktail hour, usually one we've never had, mm-hmm. render an opinion on that cocktail, and then talk about like a movie probably and other things and send you on your way, all in the course of about an hour. It's like a pleasant cocktail among friends. Mm. So, Kate, how are things lately? Those are good. And what cocktail are we drinking this week? We are having the Americano this week. Ooh. Ooh. On FX? No, in our kitchen. Oh. Okay. The studio. And right now we're watching a bunch of sequels that may have gotten lost to history. I think we're, we're going to start off on a new tangent soon, but right yeah, now it's This sequels. is an interesting thing. Well, we have a special sequel. Right. It's going to be a two-part episode that we're launching here. Um, for, the, for this week, and then we'll... we'll We'll go on to Greener Pastures. And the sequels that we will be watching this week and next week are uh, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, and Exorcist, The Beginning. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. And Kate, what do those movies have in common? <laughs> A lot of things. Um, it's it's two different versions of the same movie, but it two different directors and a slightly different script, but most of the main cast in yeah. both. A lot of the cast shot simultaneously. Script, well, no, shot sequentially. Sequentially, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so both movies detail Father Marin's experiences in the African desert. And so it's basically the same plot, but just mm-hmm. different. This is Max von Sydow's character from, from the, Ex- the Exorcist and briefly Exorcist 2 colon The Heretic. Yeah. About except the good locust. Except this isn't, he isn't played by Max von Sydow. Right, and there's no Richard Burton. No, there isn't. Right. So we will get into the production details of this uh, movie, which I think are probably the most interesting part about like, it. Like, they're up there with, like, Superman 2. Yeah, this is, it's of, one of those in, craziness of stories yeah. of things that you can't actually believe happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as always, we have to do the standard disclaimers. Oh, of course. Right. Our lawyers, by which I mean... Uh, the back of this cereal box that I'm reading. Tell us that we have to read them. Robert Vaughn told us we had to do this. Right. Uh, and he told me the big insurance companies mean business and that I should trust him. So I did. And when he told me that I had to read these disclaimers, I didn't ask why. Mm-hmm. Standard disclaimer number one, neither Kate nor I is an expert on cocktails or movies. So if we get something wrong, we'd like you to let us know. Because, hey, we're just hanging out. We also crave human contact so much. We do. We're like the Morlocks. In both the Time Machine and the X-Men books. You get to be Callisto, because I like you. Thank you. Uh, so, again, if we get something wrong about your favorite cocktail or favorite movie, please let us know. Second disclaimer, alcoholism is a serious condition, not unlike scrofula. If you had scrofula, you would not go to the king, as you would have in the Middle Ages, but instead you'd go to see a doctor. And uh, likewise, if you have alcoholism, you should go see a healthcare professional. Scrofula. Why would one go to the king? Well, because it was thought of as the royal disease. Uh, And here's why. Okay. Because it was believed. Have we not talked about this in the show? 
I think we have. That's, but I'm. Yeah, it was the royal disease. I'm sure we've talked about scrofula. That you, they would touch, the king would touch you and uh, it would cure your scrofula. And the thing was, they picked something that people basically got over anyway. And, uh, you know, alcoholism probably more serious than having scrofula. All right. So those are the two disclaimers. So, Kate, tell us a little bit about an Americano and then we will sample it and uh, move on to talking about our movies. Or we can talk about anything else, you know? You got anything you want to get off your chest? <laughs> Cute hoodie. Thank you. Yeah, it's not very cold, though. It's cold outside. Yeah. Weather is all over the goddamn map. Yes, it is. Like two it, days ago, it was 70 degrees. It's been, Yesterday, it was like 20. Yeah. Today, it's been like 29. Well, and, it's, and, and the thing with the weather that it's been doing, you know, our air conditioning will cut, I mean, our heating will cut on and off, mm-hmm. right? So then, like, it's really warm and the heat is off, but then the next day, it's really cold and the heat goes on. So it goes from this, like, comfortable, loamy uh, weather, you know, 69 to, like, 71, but incredibly bone dry. In the house. So, like, my hands are doing this peely, cracky thing. Oh, my God. And, yeah, I know. You just looked at him, didn't you? <laughs> you? Why would you show me that? Well, they've, they've done this my whole life. Like, I get these crazy cracking on my hands. Uh, but also, like, I'll wake up in the morning and um, – do you get that? Do you ever get that thing where, like, you've got so much uh, eye crust on your eyes that you get, like, one of these eye stalagmites that sort of seals your <laughs> eyes closed and you're, like – like you're straining your eyelids to get it open. No, that has never happened like, to me. And like I feel like I'm going to be honest. Like when I wake up, like there's a certain uh, there's like a little bit of satisfaction. Like ooh, I got one. Like this is great. Like this is crazy. Look what my body did. And that like if I have to wipe it off with my hands instead of like muscling through it with my eyelids, mm-hmm. like that's a defeat. Like I, I should be able to eyelid the, that stalactite apart. Like, man eyelids should have, be strong enough to do that. Have you ever considered that you might be part lizard? And this is some kind of mucus No, that comes and here's out, why. If I were a lizard, I would have secondary eyelids that move horizontally. I said half lizard. So only the front eyelid part. I mean, just what with the mucus eyes and the dry skin. Um, and the ability to regrow your body parts. Right. And uh, my bifurcate penis. That is between you and your god, Lucas. Quetzalcoatl. Yes. Uh, no, but so the weather has been crazy, and I've been getting uh, – it's not a stalactite, and it's not a stalactite – because stalagmite is from uh, the floor, right? Mm-hmm. And stalactite is from the ceiling. You know, you know how to – you remember the difference, yes, right? Yes. You hold on tight. Or maybe it's a stalagite. But what is when it's like all one thing, when they meet? A pillar? Well, that's the dumbest name I ever. I don't know. Not even like stalagpillar? Stalagpuller. My wife would know the answer to this, I bet. We can ask her and edit it in and post. <laughs> Anywho, tell me about the Americano. The Americano is a aperitif cocktail mm-hmm. that is traditionally served before dinner or other meals to aid in the digestion or to, to stimulate the appetite. It contains Campari, sweet vermouth, club soda, and um, a garnish... Garnish of orange. Even the cats hate vermouth. <laughs> Even the cats hate vermouth. Yes, that's true. I again chose a cocktail that caused us to buy more vermouth. That is just. Why do you do this? Do you feel like some sort of moral obligation to try keep trying vermouth drinks? Because I think if we're gonna do vermouth drinks in the future, and again, I haven't tasted this drink yet, but. You know, maybe get better vermouth. I don't know. I don't think there is such a thing. You mean like classy vermouth? Yeah, like white people vermouth. This is 
this is instead this of the vermouth you see on the billboards next to like Popeye's fried chicken down uh, in the bad part of town with I, the near the Newport ads. This comes from the lowest grocery store, lowest shelf on the grocery store where all vermouth is and should be because it's terrible. Yeah, vermouth is pretty disgusting. Sweet or dry. Yeah. And this is sweet vermouth. Okay. And I'm I have high hopes for this cocktail. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, I've never tried Campari before, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So tell me some more. I'm sorry. The Americano is a beverage that uh, dates from Italy around the 1860s. It originated in Cafe Campari in Milan, which was owned by a man named Campari, who in turn formulated the beverage. So this is much like the martini was created to move Martini and Rossi vermouth. There's a couple of stories on that, though. Right. But allegedly. So this is a sort of similar origin story, if that in fact is true, about the martini. I don't know if I would say that because it's more like it is something he invented that he served in a lot of different forms at his restaurant. Ah, okay. Because it's the, the Campari liqueur itself can be served with a variety of things. So it's like if you go to Outback, you're going to have like battered onions on everything. <laughs> <laughs> so like if you go to Cafe Campari, there's going to be Campari and everything. Well, I think Campari was trying to cash in on this like tonic craze that took up in the mid-19th century when the Frenchman um, Dubonnet, who named, who coined the mm-hmm. the beverage, the the light wine Dubonnet, like started um, peddling his wares to people, and they became really famous as a tonic and a refresher. For people, especially in the Victorian, not well, not even the Victorian era, but in the mid 1800s, and so Campari was, you know, had been a barman his whole life. He involved in the drink business since the age of 14 when he became a bartender in his hometown. Throughout the 1840s, he traveled around Italy selling. Was he like bitters. a prodigy? I don't think so. I think he was just. In fact, I know he he was the tenth son of a farmer, so there was probably not really much else for him to do. 14-year-old bartenders, man. That's like something on a pirate ship. This is like in the 1800s, though, so. You only live to be, like, 50, so you might as well. It's not like the Middle Ages. It's the 1800s, the Age of Enlightenment. So he was, uh, throughout the 1840s, he was selling bitters across Italy, and then he finally formulated his own aperitif bitter-esque beverage, a.k.a. the Campari. Uh, In the 1860s, he made it, it's made, he ended up making his own recipe, with that's made out of fruits, spices, herbs. That's a secret recipe that he then started selling and called it Campari. He also opened up his own cafe called the Cafe Campari in Milan when he moved there um, to be with his second wife, who was a native of the town. He opened a cafe near the Milan Cathedral, which attracted a lot of tourists and also a lot of business. Mm-hmm. His first name was Gaspare. There we go. Okay, sorry. So Gaspari Campari. Which sounds like a great just, name. Yeah, that sounds like the name of an opera. Um, it was originally sold under the name of the Milano Torino because its two chief ingredients uh, come from Milan: the Campari mm-hmm. liqueur and the Torini, which is the sweet vermouth that comes from Turin. Mm-hmm. It was renamed to be the Americano when um, it kind of became a noticeable favorite of Americans visiting, and they they ordered it like all the time, and it became their favorite, so it became known as the Americano. So the Americano is also the first beverage, alcoholic beverage, ever mentioned in any James Bond material ever. Um, in the original Casino Royale by Ian Fleming, James Bond orders it when he goes into a cafe. Um, of course, obviously, 
more famous James Bond beverages would include the martini and mm-hmm. the Vesper, but this is actually the first one that he orders, except he orders it with the stipulation that it be made with Perrier, so just plain soda water, mm-hmm. because he it classes it up a little bit. Because he's, uh, yes. that's his stipulation. He's always got to stipulate something about a drink. It's not, yeah. yo, I'd like a martini. It's like, you know, shaken, not stirred. Yeah, or, which I don't, whatever. I want Perrier in mine. Yeah, I don't think you want to shake up the Perrier before you serve it. Well, no, no, you don't. Um, he also orders it again in The View to a Kill, which is a short story. This is <laughs> a little Americana trivia for you. Right there. <laughs> and like I said, it's an aperitif, so it's, um, Served to stimulate the meal, um, the appetite before meal. Other, like, you know, your champagnes, your. your Did you mention your the Kier Royale? The Kier Royale right. is an aperitif, white wine, Dubonnet, like I said. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, there is um, the digestif, which as one what's it has, right. makes sense. It's what you use to help you digest the meal that you just gorge yourself mm-hmm. with, which it tends to be straight liquor like brandy or sherry. How would. I don't. I don't understand how booze would help. Is it, you know, like if I want to get my gut moving, I'll have a cup of black coffee and a cigarette. Well, I think maybe the idea is that if you drank booze before the meal and during the meal and then after the meal, you're going to wake up with a not great stomach anyway mm-hmm. in the next morning. I guess. I guess. Got anything else there on the uh, on the old Americano? Um, you said it was Americano because Americans like to eat it, like to drink it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the name stuck. So. Is it where is it popular now? Is it popular in America or? I think it's still it's very popular still in Italy, in Milan, mm-hmm. and anywhere anywhere Campari is sold. Yeah, I remember is... Tony Soprano had Campari drinks all the time, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it's a uh, orange flavor. Campari itself is it tastes it's supposed to be orange flavored. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I read. I mean, it's a pretty cool looking bottle. It's mm-hmm. kind of reddish in color. Okay, well, let's have us a drink. Okay, all right. It looks delicious. It looks like fruit juice. It smells good. It smells, to me, it kind of smells like, um, shit, uh, wink. Wink soda. Okay. I don't know why, but it does. Mmm. Oh, my God. That's a phase. That is revolting. Oh, really? Try it. Why would I? Try it. It's for the show. Okay. It looks, I mean, it looks like grenadine. <laughs> okay, so this is what that tastes like. It's bitter. This tastes like, it tastes like someone took a menthol cigarette, <laughs> wrapped it in aluminum foil, smoked it, and then mixed those ashes with seltzer water. It tastes like medicine. Like something that they flavored with the briefest amount of strawberry or bubble gum. Yeah. Oh, you know what it tastes like? It tastes like that shit that they put in your mouth in the dentist when you're a I kid. I was just going to say that, that fluoride. Foam, that foam shit that you're like, oh, you get the bubble gum flavor. What it, uh, yeah, that they put in the little trays. Yeah, the foam, and then you the have fluoride to, stuff. Yeah. Right, and you just sit with it on your teeth. But That's then exactly what you it start spitting like. so much that it starts running it down the back of your throat, and then it gets really gross, and like you have to start gagging on it. Sorry, I didn't like this shit at the dentist. But you know what I mean? Like, no. And then, like, as it goes down your throat, it loses yeah, that its bubblegum ex- flavor. I was going to say it at exactly the same time. it becomes, like, really medicine well, And it's that tasting. metallic thing. It's the metallic part of it. The, that's like, what the fluoride is. 
this is weird though because this beverage is like smells good and it tastes okay and then you swallow it and it hits you but not in a good way it, no it tastes like uh, like chewing on dimes why did you go back for a, a double dip oh god so I thought it might be different maybe you need to get used to the taste no oh it's like it's like a cocktail made out of expired crest. Oh, it's but the bitterness is what gets me. It yeah. makes me like. I can see why this. Okay, this shit's nasty. But I'm sorry, Campari, and spit on your grave. I didn't mean to, but and your legacy. Um, this is what it reminds me of. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna losing my train of thought here. Okay, <laughs> I can see why doing, the drink is doing that. This was. Uh, I can see why this is served in a way as a before dinner drink, because if you're throwing a house party mm-hmm. or you're a restaurant and you serve this or you're at a hotel and you serve this to guests, they're going to want to eat anything in sight to get this taste out of their <laughs> mouth. So no matter if it's like the driest fucking pretzels and horrible hummus that you have to offer <laughs> or little cheeses that are a little bit past the shelf date, it's going to taste better than this shit. Well, I, I just know, like, you don't want to serve this um, after having served food to people. Yeah, cause, well, maybe the food would mask. No, no. No, because I think it would, you would, you'd have some issues. Wow, that is just really unpleasant tasting. Yeah, well, also, there's no food in your stomach, presumably, to throw up. I'm still tasting it. I swallowed one sip, like, three minutes ago. And my ugh. okay, and here's the thing though: the bitterness fades after a little bit, which makes you think, "Oh, it wasn't that bad." And then you go back for another sip, ugh, like I did. You know what it's like? It's like I, I think this is what it would taste like after you blew how nine thousand. <laughs> Where? <laughs> Where is know. his penis? That's, that's my question. It's, it's unholy and wrong and shouldn't exist anyway. <laughs> Give me your answer, do. Okay, it's less bitter on the third sip. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think this is an acquired taste? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, it's like, I bet the first time you tried coffee, you didn't like it. Uh, I, you know, I, I, the first time I had coffee was so long ago, I can't even, like, it's, it's like breathing. This I could can't. be the start of a beautiful, actually, no, it's not. It's going to be the start of a very uh, tempestuous, unforgiving. Um, no, it's going to be the start of a bottle that sits on our bar forever, like the bottles of vermouth do. Except the bottles of vermouth? I have to keep buying them because they disappear. Because they go bad. I throw the old vermouth away. It's wine. It goes bad. Can you use it in cooking or something? I have tried, but it doesn't it doesn't work as cooking wine because it has all that weird, you know, spices and tuna in it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. Let me have another sip. Here. Talk while I'm... Um, yeah, it tastes like, it tastes like Robitussin or like toothpaste. And like the bubbles don't really help. I thought... It's like I would imagine like the the grimy shit that you wipe <laughs> off of a cover band guitar player's guitar pick would taste. <laughs> and like everything exactly, Lenny, exactly. Everything I've read about this, they're like, oh, oh the Campari the is really fuck bitter. Is that? And where do they say it's orange? Where what is, oranges are these people eating? Well, I was about to get that. Every review I've said, like, oh, it's a delightful beverage to enjoy. The Campari is bitter, but it's rounded out by the club soda and the sweet vermouth. which create, And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, okay, that sounds fine. I've read that in other cocktails. But now I'm actually tasting it. Where is well, There is no reprieve from no. the bitterness. It is, it is like a black soul 
that is spiraling ever onward. You didn't accidentally buy a bottle of, like, silver polish, did you? No, but I'm wondering, can Campari expire? Is that what's going on here? I don't know. Because I did get, like, a special anniversary version. I bet you could use it to, like, clean chrome. Can you use Campari in cooking? (laughs) Can you? I'm just trying to figure out how we're going to get rid of this shit. I don't know. God. You know, know, it'll actually... I'm glad that we did this because it'll be on our bar and it'll make the bar look classier. It will totally class up this joint. <laughs> because right now, all we've got on the bar. You know what? I bet that's is... it. I bet it's like a crafty marketing play. You d- you invent you invent a liqueur that is classy looking mm-hmm. in the bottle, but tastes disgusting. So that it's on like all these people's bars, like in their classy houses, and people go to their classy houses and they're like, "If I want to be classy, I'd give me some classy Campari." Yeah, it's like a total status thing that nobody actually. It's like it's the fruitcake of liqueurs. Well, I'm just like thinking, is this like one of those things like bitters where you only need to buy one like every, like we were still going on our original bat thing of bitters, you know that we yeah. bought back two years well, ago. Well, but uh, you know Angostura bitters, you just do a little dash of it. That's true. Yeah, this said put a whole shot, and, you know, like yeah, a whole ounce, a whole shot, and a whole it's a whole ounce of vermouth, a whole ounce of it, and it's supposed to even be, you know what, Josh? It's supposed to be a splash of club soda. I actually filled this fucker up because I was like, I I like bubbles, but no, uh, like this is disgusting. I'm sorry, Campari. I really wanted to like this because it's you know it's like classy and the cool well, and Italian. You're shit out of luck because it's opera. in our drink next week too. What do we have next week? So. Much like how our uh, our two movies today are mirror mirror sides of the same weird <laughs> mirror side <laughs> warped coin. Is that when you murder a mirror, <laughs> or is it when you murder John Borman? <laughs> he bleeds mirrors. He does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so much like our movies are kind of mirror images of each other, these mm-hmm. our two beverages are going to be mirror images of each other. I'm not really looking. It is forward but a shadowy to... reflection of it. I'm not looking forward to next week's beverage. What is what is what is next week's beverage? The Negroni. Okay. Yeah. Which is an Americano. That's with what a uh, twist. Uh, Jake Busey was drinking those on Justified two weeks ago before he blew up. Oh yeah, you're right. He was. Yeah. All right. Spoilers for the season of uh, of Justified. Jake Busey shows up for like a third of an episode and then explodes. And it's great. <laughs> um. Uh, so the Negroni is what? How does it differ from what we just uh, we, forced into our lumen? Shouldn't we leave that as a method of suspense yeah, okay. for people to come back next week? I think week? the suspense is if we're alive next week or if we do an episode more than once every month and a half. Negroni, Negroni was a um, was a man who liked Americanos and then he eventually requested that they just tweak it a little bit and then he was named the Ricky after him. The, the Gin Ricky, which almost sounds like Jim Ricky. Right? Which was uh, very similar to the Negroni. He mm-hmm. basically asked that they tweaked it a little bit because it was mm-hmm. one of his favorite cocktails. And then it caught on with his name. We will go further into that next week. While I attempt to finish this horrible creation. I can't, but why are you? Okay. Can, can, I'm going to pause. It's, I'm going to get another drink because I need to get, have a drink and I don't want that. Is there any booze in the house that's not this? No. What the shit? Uh, I'm going to have to do this shit sober. Or you can be like me and much like the character of Father Marin in today's movie by facing down your demons <laughs> as they sit in front of you in a glass. <laughs> this is my cry. This is my cross to bear. Is this Ugh. cocktail okay? Uh, okay. Well, I'm just gonna have this random. Where did it go? It's right there. This random cocktail I made with Sprite Zero and Curacao, uh, which is now bleeding blue shit all over my. Is the cup broken? This is possibly, the, and this is not the worst drink we've had, but it is, uh, I think, the second worst drink that we've had. Yeah, you know, like the California Dream? California Dream was, 
atrocious. That it was, was, oh, it that tasted, was a misstep for yeah. sure. I And I take full responsibility yeah. for that. That thing tasted like bong water that had been <laughs> filtered through a, a dryer sheet. It was made out of... Um, like fabric softener. Yeah. That was yeah. disgusting. It was pretty bad. What was in it? Like tequila? There was uh, Angostura bitters and tequila and vermouth and despair. And despair. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. It was awful. It was, uh, yeah. Demon pus and children's broken Christmas wishes. <laughs> All right. So our movie was Dominion, colon, prequel to The Exorcist. Correct, Kate? Sorry, dry vermouth, sweet vermouth, and tequila. Well, that's it. It doubles that, down on vermouth. Jesus Christ, Kate. What the fuck were you thinking? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm here. No, I'm that's here. okay. So, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist. Do you want to, you know, you are the exorcist aficionado, Why per se. Why is that? I don't know, because you like demons and shit. Um, I've just... Do well, let's do... Do you want to talk about the plot, and then I can talk about the production history, or vice versa, or... I'll just, do the production history first. Yeah. You do the story. Yeah. As it's um, So... One thing about this I just wanted to point out. This is our fourth, third Exorcist movie we're doing on the show. Second. Didn't we do the actual Exorcist no. on the show once? No. It just feels like we did because we talked about it all the time. Because we talk about it all the time. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, can you put that thing away? Your dick. I need you to put your dick away. I can't concentrate. <laughs> My cat? You're a really convincing uh, male to female. And, you know, I don't mention it on the show because I'm progressive like that. But I need you to put your uh, dick and or cat away. You know, if we put her up, she's just going to bang on the door. <sighs> All right. You can put her in the closet. Put her in the closet. <laughs> um. Okay. So this movie is from... What? The year? 2005. They were both released in 2005, R- right? Uh, right. Okay, I think, I was, well, the, this one was actually the one that was released second, right. but made first. Do you want, okay. I'll do the production history. Yeah. This is right. really short. So basically, you know, there were the first three Exorcist movies mm-hmm. um, released to varying levels of popular success and acclaim. Uh, the first one, universally re- well-regarded. The second one, almost universally not well-regarded, which we've talked about on the show. Yep. Uh, and then the third one, which had sort of a mixed reputation. Yep. Uh, and they got this property, and uh, they want to make uh, another movie uh, out of it. So they have uh, Paul Schrader, uh, mm-hmm. g- the great screenwriter, Paul Schrader, uh, and filmmaker, who, you know, he wrote uh, uh, Taxi Driver, and uh, he made uh, a movie about Mishima that I really like. And, you know, he's, he's a, he made Autofocus, that movie about Bob Crane. Mm-hmm. So he, and he makes a lot of movies about people uh, with serious religious problems and, uh, you know, but, Questions about life. About, but, you know, he's a serious filmmaker. Yes. Uh, so not necessarily, I mean, on the one hand, he does a lot of stuff about religious topics. But on the other hand, uh, you know, not ne- he's like not necessarily a horror filmmaker, but he does a little class to the joint, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. and William Friedkin's a classic guy. John Borman was a classic guy, I guess, sort of. Uh, and then William Peter Blatty made the third one himself. Uh, so, yeah, whatever. Uh, so he had some class to the joint, and uh, I think uh, Caleb Carr was a screenwriter on this, too, the guy who wrote The Alienist, his novelist. So he was a classy joint. So they they filmed it, and they made the movie, uh, and, he, he, and they didn't like it. Uh, they thought it was uh, dull. The rough cut, though. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, well, it was mostly done minus effects and, minus and scoring. Minus effects and scoring, yeah. Um, so... Um, so they don't like it, and they they hire a completely new director, uh, Rennie Harlan, of like action movie fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, he make you know makes a lot of big budget action movies. You mm-hmm. know your cuts throats islands. <laughs> Just the one, really. Right. right. Well, you know, not, there he was hoped only there were more. One, uh, one day, <laughs> one it'll, day. Get, it'll get a reboot. Right. We'll have cutter throats islands. 
uh, and many more successful pictures, uh, to to essentially make a new movie with the same script and a lot of the same actors. Same so, idea. Right. So that is the movie we'll watch next week, mm-hmm. the, the second movie. This, the movie that we saw, is the movie that, after that movie got released and was not critically well regarded, uh, people prevailed upon Warner Brothers uh, to release a new movie. Uh, release the original movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent Paul Schrader back in the studio to edit it and put in effects. Gave him a little bit of money. A little bit of money for some effects and editing and uh, and whatnot. And originally that was the deal. that They had hired, uh, I'm looking this up on Wikipedia, they had hired John Frankenheimer and he died. Uh, you know, the director of like Mentoring Candidate. And Interesting story. Uh, my friend uh, who writes, he write, like wrote for this film score magazine uh, that he did. And he was scheduled to interview John Frankenheimer like the week that he died. And... Uh, and I like I kept calling up his house pretending to be John Frankenheimer, <laughs> like before he died. And then I felt really bad. No, you didn't. After he died, but then he would like, my friend is Jason. He would keep these messages around that I had play had recorded on his answering machine as like I've got these messages from the grave from John Frankenheimer. Can it's you a do really a, sort of inside. Can you do a John Frankenheimer? And that's the thing. Version? I have no idea. I had at the time. I had no idea what John Frankenheimer sounded <laughs> like. So I just made him sound like Larry Flint. So it's not like you're doing like, Houston. No, it was just a, a voice I completely made it up that sounded like Larry Flint. So I made it like, oh, John Frankenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds nothing like that, by the way. Sounds like at Harry all. Blinkett. <laughs> right. You know, Larry Flint, Harry Blinkett. You know. <laughs> But then he kept these messages, like, to make me embarrassed or something. He's like, look at what my friend does. He calls him pretends to be dead people. And I was like, was right before he died. Anyhow, so John Frank and I were scheduled to make this movie. And then that, that's how the production. So this is the movie that was second to be released, first to be shot. And this mm-hmm. is the Paul Schrader uh, original movie. Uh, as And as much as it can be a, a, his original idea for the movie. You know, I make it sound like it's a masterpiece. It's not. It's not, no. Um, but, you know. Anyhow, so uh, tell us the story of the movie. Oh, and then and so he got a little bit of money to put in effects. The effects are not very good. Yeah, but they look like placeholder effects. Sometimes, like when you'll see, because you know, adva- they are. like if you go to if you see an advanced screening or something, that they'll say these are placeholder effects, and that's what they look like. So. They look like very 1992 versions of effects. Yeah, they're TV. They're like TV yeah. CGI effects. Yeah, it's like the effect the the uh, special effects oh, you would get in um, Mortal Kombat. The game or the movie? Let's pause and take care. Of you. Um. Well, the no, they look like the effects. You know, in Mortal Kombat, the movie. <laughs> I wish I could say I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, but you know, there's that one scene where like Scorpion is fighting Johnny Cage, and he he's gonna. This is clearly like, excuse the expression, the money shot, where he puts his hand up to the the screen and says like, "Get over here," and the thing comes out of his hand and right. you know grabs him, and that's the thing everyone knows from the video games. And they're like, "Oh, you can tell like that was supposed to be an awesome part in the movie." And it was just terrible. And, and it's really dated, and it clearly looks like that. Or like uh, like the Rock in the Scorp uh, when he was in the Mummy Two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like where he just looks like something out of Clash of the Titans, but like you know, thirty years later. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. It's like that really cheap, or like when Aladdin goes over, and when Aladdin's in the cave. And um, the oh, yeah. wonders, and then he well goes straight up to the rock face, and you think he's going to hit it, and then the carpet takes him down into the the next door under, and you can tell it just looks so computer animated. Because and it it's okay because that was during right. the beginnings of the. But the, our point is, the effects are clearly not. But also, I don't think it's fair necessarily to judge the movie on those because it's like I'm just trying to paint. It's a, a word miracle picture. that we got that this movie ever saw the light of day at all. Yeah. So the movie opens with Father Lancaster Marin. Who is the old priest from the from The Exorcist, played by Max von Sydow? But not, not in this movie. Except in this movie, he's played by Peter Sarsgaard. 
No. no. Sorry, Stellan Skarsgård. You got him mixed up this time. Damn it. Stellan Skarsgård. Um, and it opens in Holland. Yeah. During in, World War II. During World War II. Uh, he's dressed as a priest. They're in a town square. It's very snowy. And some Nazis have corralled up the town, and they're trying to find all of the uh, rebels and traitors who are... Um, like resistance. They're resistant, you it. And they've got... No one's talking in the town. They pick out Father Mayor and say, you know, you priest, come here. They grab him. You tell us who the rebels are. And he's like, no, I don't know. I can't tell you. I don't know. And then the you know main Nazi colonel shoots someone in front of him and says, you know, tell me or I'll mm. keep shooting people in the town. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And he shoots like two more people. Well, and then he says, either you pick out the people to shoot. Yeah. He says, he, what he tells him is either you pick out 10 people to shoot or I'm going to shoot the whole town. Yeah. And um, as he starts doing that, eventually. He know, picks. He starts picking out people to shoot. Yeah. And then he gets shot. Um, well, he doesn't get shot. So Every- he's faced with an impossible moral choice. Yes, which uh, serves in terms of the plot to destroy his faith in God. Right. So fast forward to, I guess, 10 years later? Sometime after the war, he is in uh, uh, Kenya, in Africa, mm-hmm. doing uh, archaeological work. Yes, and he's doesn't – in the first scene, he's wearing his habit. You know, he's got his full priest mm-hmm. garb. Now he looks like a normal layman. Or does he get sent there? I think he gets sent yeah. Oh no, that's right. The the the, the young sexy missionary a, gets sent uh, with him. Um, he's taking a sabbatical, and he's going to devote himself. It says he's he's taking a sabbatical because of like all of the trauma. Um, he it's kind of implied that he's maybe not given up the cloth, but he's definitely right. lost his faith. So he's sent to Africa in this village to kind of chill out, I guess. Yeah, and he's doing archaeological work while he's there. Yeah. Um, and this other priest, young, full of hope, uh, priest comes to accompany him at one point. Um, because they, they're in Kenya. They find this church that's been buried since, like, the 5th century. Um, but looks, like, as if it was buried right after it was made. Because it looks brand new. Like, it's not cratered right. All the or stone is polished Sparkling. and clean. And so they uncover the dome, which is a really cool image of, like, this dome sticking out of the right. earth. And so um, there's also some British military folk around right, you know because this is colonial kenya keeping track of the locals and um the new awesome fresh-faced you know priest is there with him to make sure that the church stays consecrated and no one desic- no one for some messes reason, right. with it and then he also meets a doctor a girl doctor who who's there is in town a missionary right as and well. who he eventually learns was in a concentration camp in world war ii yes and uh, and is haunted is haunted which and he know. comes to learn comes to know some of the locals as they're doing the, and the locals keep saying don't um don't excavate that place yeah and you know lo and behold as they continue to excavate the church weird shit starts happening uh, first and foremost among which is the appearance of a local boy who everyone in town says you can't touch him cuz he's cursed yes his name is chiche chiche and uh, there's some really interesting photography, I think at least, yes. of uh, like with Chiche sort of hanging out on the outskirts of town. Yeah, the way they um, shot his body, because mm-hmm. he looks very deformed and right. weird, but he is actually just a normal person. And I, I get the sense that the budget probably wasn't high enough for him to like do, because they don't have effects. It, they probably don't have that much makeup either. It's just. It... But they do a good a good job of, you know, it, you know what it reminded me of as a little, and I think we talked about this, of uh, of Satan in Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. Of sort of the idea of just this creepy stranger on the outside of town. 
that people say don't go touch. And he's sort of lurking around in the rocks and uh, mysteriously. So they do a good job of building menace, I think, in a sort of this is a slow movie. Um, Yeah, it's it's a slow burn. It's a real slow burn. Without a lot of effects, they sort of, I think, uh, do a, a decent job of building that up. So then as they're excavating the church, like like. Uh, Kate said, "Weird things happen. People start the people's uh, anger. People start getting more and more angry, and like their tempers someone rise. Someone has like a stroke all right. of a sudden, and like starts writhing around on the ground. And then these uh, like some evil hyenas, dog hyena dogs, come out of the hills that are acting like really weird. Like they come out in during the day and are very bold, whereas like normal hyenas would come out at night and would avoid human contact if at all possible because right. they're scavengers." Where stuff like that starts happening. Tensions, tensions, and tensions keep rising. So then they they uncover they the whole church, the whole church, and yeah. they go in. And like we said, it's pristine and beautiful. And there's these this beautiful but weird altar um, of angels. But the Christ is the cross is upside down. And right? yeah, and there are statues like traditional statues of angels and saints. But they're instead of like reaching up towards God, like a statue of Michael, there's one they're pointing all everything down at the ground. Right. They're like spear weapons pointing down toward the ground which, in sort of menacing fashion. Which looks weird. I, again, uh, you know, for the budget that I had, the set design was really neat on that church and, and sort of creating something that combined familiar elements but made them unsettlingly different. Yeah. So they, they quickly surmise that there's something going on with the fact that this church is buried, A, mm. and B, looks like it was trying to contain something instead of celebrating something right. like your churches normally would. So one of the um, early nights uh, in the village, there's uh, some British soldiers come to occupy the, the town and uh, take over the excavation of, the, of the, the temple. And the two guards who are sort of assigned to guard the temple mm-hmm. am i skipping anything before i get to this right so they they essentially they try and start uh, they start try and start stealing gems from the church and uh, the next morning they are found ritualistically splayed and murdered and one of them has had their head cut off and it's on like and a one of them, and another one is crucified upside down upside down on like saint peter right and like the head on a platter and stuff right. like that. There's like some hyenas that I already said they come out of season, but then like cows start attacking the hyenas instead <laughs> right. of the other way around. Then, then the cows, in probably the worst effect in the movie, the yes. cows, the CGI cows start eating the hyenas, which yeah. you know cows don't eat meat. Chiche is this like like we said, this weird misshapen boy who Marin takes in to the infirmary and the sexy nurse. Rachel, Rachel, right? Sexy nurse Rachel. She, they do an operation, and he starts healing like abnormally fast. Right, and the and the priest they had to like reset his bones. And the stuff. priest wants him to come to Jesus, the young priest. So the priest is very focused on winning this kid's soul for Christ, and in the course of having of doing so, various various omens and portents indicate that uh, his body uh, does not want this to happen. So it's. This is becoming clear that he is the the boy who is possessed. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, which, um, by the way, ties into the story that was mentioned in the first movie of of Marin treating an, a young African boy in Africa, which is a story that they springboarded on for the second Exorcist movie, but that this movie completely ignores that yeah. and uh, essentially treats it as not canonical or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's quickly well, if you're familiar with the Exorcist, it's quickly apparent that this is where he meets Pazuzu the first time because that right. yeah spoilers. Um, so the little boy starts healing really fast. Everyone thinks it's a miracle. At the same time, like 
the local villagers and the British are coming to heads. Like tensions this, just keep rising. This, like African, um, one of the African like parents like comes into a school that's set up that's being run by the young right. priest and just shoots everybody. And well, because kills he all says the that well, the kids say uh, after the soldiers are killed, mm-hmm. a lot more kids start coming to the church, and the priest asks him why, and he says because we don't want your Jesus to kill us. Yeah. Like he killed those other guys. Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of bloody, a lot of tensions ringing high. I think Father Marin at this Which point. Which was a very Paul Schrader-y notion of, yes. uh, of yeah. Of, of God of and What fear. is Christ about and yeah. what, what is the role of fear in religion. And then the, and then at some point they take Chiche to the church to be baptized. Right. Um, because he's a heathen or whatever. And, um. The nurse wants to baptize him, right? Because he needs to be. Well, he says yes that I would like to. When he's not being possessed, when the, the the boy inside is like, yeah, I'm very thankful that you guys were able to heal me. Uh, you know, I like the power of your Christ. But he makes them do it at the creepy church, though. Well, I think the priest does that for, I forget what the reasons were. Whatever. The point is they end up at the creepy church right. with this creepy kid. <laughs> and then they, yeah, it turns out that there's like a tunnel underneath your church uh, going down under the altar. Into, Where does uh, that altar lead to? I don't know. Uh, a, a demon chamber, right? I, I don't, yeah, de- it's like it's, a, it's like a sacrificial chamber right. with it, like the the remains of a sacrificial chamber, right? It's like uh, you know, like in every Dracula movie, like uh, Dracula has the real nice house, and then he has the uh, unfurnished basement yes. with all the ghouls and brides and bodies in it. Yes. It's like the Dracula basement. Yeah, so um, Francis goes down there, um, and Father Marin is, like, off trying to calm the locals or something. Francis is the young sexy well, priest. No, no, no. What's happened, in the meantime, the, the British have killed a couple of the locals. In The the British commander has sort of succumbed to Pazuzu rage, and uh, in the escalating tension has murdered, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of these locals. So the town is completely uh, locked down by some of the soldiers. Then the commander kills himself. Right. So they're trapped in the... Well, all right. So Francis and Rachel, who the sexy nurse and sexy priest, are trapped in there with Chiche. When they start to baptize him, he, you know, demons out and becomes like this creepy, like, yeah. hairless... He, he, like Persis Combata in Star Trek One. Yeah. And, and sort of like this white robe, but no hair. Like this hairless, androgynous being comes together and tr- causes, like, the front to be buried under more rubble so no yeah. one can get in there. Which, again, for no effect, they do a pretty good job making him menacing. The performance, the, the kid doing the performance is doing a really good job, Yeah, I think. I mean, it's all in the performance. It's almost nothing in effect. Except, you know, I'm trying to think of the actual, like, demony effects in this movie. There's, like, Father Marin has a weird dream where he sees uh, clip footage of... Uh, Pazuzu from the first movie mm-hmm. of the Captain Howdy face. Oh, God. And then there's one little brief moment in, when when you have, like, an evil face on Chiche in the yeah. temple, I think. But the rest of it is just, like, him having red eyes and crap. Yeah. But it's mostly all it, – it's mostly in the performance of this kid who uh, – I don't have his name handy, but uh, I thought did a really good job. He's, like, Filipino or something, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so the next morning, um, Marin is trying to get in. And then at some point, Father Francis, they find him tied to a tree with arrows in him, like St. Sebastian. Yeah, it's totally like, like a St. Sebastian thing. Sebastian. And then as he's dying, he reveals to Marin that Chiche is possessed and that he needs to have an exorcism. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Marin's like, ah, here we go, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think it I was, was more say, like, here we go again, but I was like, he hasn't done it yet. Right, so. here, here we go the future again so that leads him into sort of this confluence of events where he goes down into the temple yeah because 
the temple is blocked, but, like, as he approaches it in his priestly gear, like, the rocks move away so that he can go inside, and then they close again. Right. Spooky. It's like the Ghostbusters going up that stair uh, to uh, see Ghost of the Gozerian. Uh, so uh, the, he goes into the temple, and he commences a battle of wills uh, with the demon who is like, you know, why do you even bother, um, you know? You were right. Not the the what is what does he say? He has like one the one thing that's sort of the. I mean, like the essence is you know, God didn't do anything for you. You know, I'm I I can free you from you know from caring about these horrible things that you did. You know, the only reason that you feel yeah. horrible is. Um, you know, you're putting this horrible situation back when you're in the war when you had to kill these people. And like the message and is also he... there, like what kind of God lets bad shit like this happen right. to people? Like how can you believe in a God that's loving? In a God when that he creates this fault, this cho- hopeless this choice for you. Yeah. And and by and in doing so, uh, the, the demon kid actually makes him go relive uh, what he, he has did, like a hallucination where he says, "Well, what if I did this?" And he grabs the gun from the the Nazi general, and it turns out, well, the Nazi general just kills everybody anyway. And kills Marin. And kills Marin. So it's either, you know, so it turns out that he probably, I guess, made the best decision he could have made. Right. Which anyway. is obvious to us. Duh. Like, you have like, no choice. It's, it's yeah, the worst possible you're, you're thing. You're kind of but. fucked no matter what you do. But um, he he continues. Marin, you know, pulls his shit together and starts the exorcism. And then he does the whole power of Christ compels you, power of Christ compels you shit. Yeah. Um... And uh, then he wins. And there's some screaming and some. Ah! And there's like an aurora in the sky. And like Rachel and Rachel's is possessed, but like, then she becomes unpossessed. Right. And then eventually the and demon. And the cows are evil again. And eventually. No, the... like there's something with the cows, right? There's they like make the, the evil cows, cow face. Yeah. Um, and eventually he drives the demon out of Chiche and it disappears to wherever it goes. Like, I have a you know, feeling that whole sequence was like a placeholder for an actual events driven sequence of, uh, of the battle of good and evil. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I guess Pazuzu returns to the winds. Right. And um, everything's all all cool now. Kosher, yo. Um, the Brit- British and the lo- local villagers are back on the same page or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiche is now awesome and mm-hmm. is helping um, you know Rachel see, in the- I want to see a movie with is, is just Chiche uh, from uh, Dominion, uh, the be- prequel to The Exorcist, and Choo Choo from season uh, six of Justified. <laughs> It could be called Chiche and Chuchu. I thought you were going to go for Chiche and Kakumo. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is like the three of them: Chiche, Chuchu, and Kakumo. <laughs> Chiche, Chuchu, and Kakumo. Right. So, um, then then it's the like movie, a variety hour. You know, Marin. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Um, Marin has regained his faith, and we see him. He gives uh, a rosary to Rachel. No, Rachel mm-hmm. goes the rosary to him. I think she was what she was someone who was considered a Jew by the Nazis, but was actually Christian. She just had Jewish heritage, okay. so she was thrown into the the camps. Anyway, he gets a rosary, and then he goes off to Rome to have more adventures. Do 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 do. And then we sort of uh, heart dissolve down into a pinpoint. Oh, I forgot. So after he's getting ready to leave, the African chief of the local tribe like gives him this speech about how like you've angered right. the you've demon. You've made an enemy for life. And you've made an enemy for life and it will never stop hunting you. And he's right. like, okay. And then that's the end of the movie. And that's the end. So what'd you think of uh, Dominion prequel to The Exorcist? I liked Dominion prequel to The Exorcist. Um, you haven't seen the other one though yet, right? No. Okay, I have. You have. haven't seen it in many years. Mm-hmm. And I think I can probably compare them a little bit better next week. I do remember liking the actress in the second one better than okay, the actress I don't know, in this Okay, I don't even know who's in it other than I know Stellan Skarsgård is in it. Is the kid the same? No. Okay. No. 
Um, well, that's a shame because I thought the kid was probably the best thing in this movie. I mean, it's it's a good plot. It's a creepy plot. The I think the what you don't see is what creeps you out the most because you know something evil is lurking in the wilderness mm-hmm. and like all this weird stuff starts happening, but you can't put your finger on it, which is also why the first Exorcist is so say, creepy. It, it is like the first one is a really slow burn. Yeah, but it really pays off. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like you know when you can't name what's going off, but there's this sense of unease that just keeps building and building. That creates a really a really good amount of suspense and a really effective amount of suspense mm-hmm. in the movie. So I liked it for that. I like Stellan Skarsgård. He's pretty cool. Um, he sold Tortured Priest really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, again, the only thing I would really have to complain about is um, the effects, but we already talked about that. I, I mean, that's not really something tighter. you can... Com- I mean, I understand yeah. why uh had problems with it, because it is really slow, and it's more than two hours long. Um, well, I think they wanted something that was going to capitalize on that mid two thousands slasher, like horror porn. I'm happy I saw this movie, and I liked quite a few aspects of it. I could see why they thought it was slow. Yes, um, I can also say I don't think they they were looking at it and something that's supposed to be a prequel to The Exorcist. It's probably not going to sell well after its original weekend if people go to see it and they're like, wow, that was really slow and there's no blood. You know? Right. And also, I think The Exorcist brand at that point was pretty damaged. I don't think in 2005, I mean, that is 30 plus years after the original first movie came out. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, a reboot, loath as MAM to endorse those, is probably a sounder thing than than trying to build on a mythos that a most moviegoers are probably largely unfamiliar with to begin with. Yeah, because I think most people, if they think of The Exorcist, they think of Reagan in the bed and turning her neck around. Right. They don't remember the part at the very beginning or that one second where Marin says to Father Karras, I've faced him before in Africa. <laughs> like, right. you know. Um, right. I think, you know, this was an admirable effort to sort of make a movie that stands on its own in that mythos. In a very different vein. I mean, like I said, it is a really slow burn, and um, it's largely atmospheric. I liked the performance of the kid, which it disappoints me to hear he's not in the next one. I don't think he is, but honestly, I haven't seen it Uh, in, like, forever. I mean, I, you know. Probably since I saw it in the theaters, honestly. Yeah. So we'll see next week. If this movie uh, was a cocktail, what would it be, Kate? So this movie, for me, I was thinking that it would be a movie that would, um, if it was a movie, it would be a movie. If it was a cocktail, it would be a cocktail that tasted great. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Something that was probably supposed to be presented in fancy packaging or like in a crazy glass, mm-hmm. but instead was served in like a thermos so you can't see what's <laughs> going on in the inside. So for me, this is like one of those drinks like a like a, a, um, a tequila sunrise that part of the appeal that you see how beautiful it's prepared mm-hmm. but then if you serve it in a thermos you don't really you're like okay, oh, that's a good point like part of enjoying this movie is knowing how much it took to get there you know so that's a good that's a good to me the thing that I thought and it's of one was, of those thermoses that comes with a lot that you have to screw off the top and like <laughs> and it has like a picture of the Lion King on or the side or it's like in a Capri Sun bag <laughs> yes yes <laughs> It's all scratched and like from the. God, 90s. those things were impossible. Who the fuck thought that was a good way to get juice to children? Children <laughs> don't even have the arm strength. To, I'm an adult and I don't have the arm strength to pierce that aluminum foil bag that is covered in condensation. By the way, yeah. So all you do is you've got this tiny harpoon that just skids off the whale's skin or, and never pierces the flesh, or, and you never get at the or, damn juice. Even worse, you get so irritated and frustrated that you really pound the harpoon in, mm-hmm. and it just goes straight through the other side of the top. Mm-hmm. Not 
into the actual fucking well, juice. And see, and which, by the way, nowadays when they do that, do they even make Capri Sun anymore? Of course they do. Okay. So they have, you know, they have the little weak spot now. Mm-hmm. Right? The little, when I was a kid, they, they didn't have that. All they had was a little X. It was like, oh, hey, really? stab here. That's it. When they first stab came out, here. it was just like, stab here. And the, the straw was sharp. Like it had the little harpoon straw, sharp. Like it had a little, the, you know, they'd cut it on a bias. All right. We need to go get some Capri Sun at the grocery <laughs> store. Okay. So to me, <laughs> yes. d- departing from our discussion of uh, you know, the long and storied history of the sun, Impossible of beverages Sun's Capri, for children's. Uh, is like the first time you have a real daiquiri after having drunk frozen daiquiris, like you're expecting, you, when you hear daiquiri and all you've had is like slushy ice that are essentially like Snoopy snow clones with booze in them. Yeah. You're expecting that, and instead you get this daiquiri, which is something uh, stronger and different, but mm-hmm. not what you're expecting. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is to me. It's like the first real daiquiri you have after having like a frozen ice daiquiri uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. It's a little uh, a little unsettling, not what you expected, but uh, good in its own way. Mm-hmm. All right. So if our drink were a movie, oh, are we going to be able to find something? Uh, um, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to say biodome. <laughs> Why? Because I don't ever want to see it again. <laughs> I was going to go with something that seems like everyone is like, oh, yeah, it's great. You got to try it. And then when you try it, you're like, this is so thoroughly distasteful and bitter and unappealing that I will never try it again. And for me, and overall overrated, and for me, that would be uh, The Dark Knight Rises. So, <laughs> boom, I said it. Okay. The movie sucked. <laughs> uh, this drink sucks. All right, a little housekeeping. We are uh, on the web, as most of you probably already know, at pntcast.wordpress.com and at our home site, preferNotTo.com. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Twitter, at pntcast. We've got a Facebook page, search for PreferNotTo. we got a Tumblr that Kate maintains called uh, pntcast.tumblr.com. We want to hear from you. You can email us at pntcast at gmail.com. Please do. We're so lonely. We are. We're terribly lonely. And, uh, you know, if you want us to see a movie, uh, please do that. Yeah, give us suggestions. We don't care. Yeah, seriously. Drink suggestions. Uh, and, you know, uh, we need to have more guests on the show. So, like, if you're a person who's listened to a bunch of episodes of the show and you want to be a guest and just, like, Skype it on in and, and talk to us about, you know, plug something, you yeah. know, like your new you know, kazoo record or something uh, or, you know, your uh, crumpet store. Is that a cat, thing? Cat sweaters. Right. That you're selling on Etsy. Right. Are those sweaters made of cats or sweaters for cats? Sweaters for cats. Made out sweaters, of cats. <laughs> sweaters for cats made out of cat hair. Right. You know, and when, and here's the thing. You think that's cruel, but like I think most cats, that's the kind of sweater they would want. Yeah. Is like a, a, a sweater made from the pelt of their vanquished foes. Well, no. I'm just thinking like they just like other cat fur. Like cats will lick themselves until they throw up. Throw up and then re-eat that vomit. And so, then lick like, another cat's and then, fur. And then lick their fur yeah. again. So it's like, you have no standards. Uh, also, we're on iTunes. We would really like an iTunes review from you. Uh, just, you know, let us know. Just say some nice words. Make us happy. We're on Stitcher. If you had to be on more on Stitcher, same. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Mm-hmm. We are platform agnostic. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to send you home a little game of Would You Rather. Okay. All right. You want to go first or you want me to go first? I'm going to go first as always. Okay. Um, Josh, mm-hmm. would you rather, for the rest of your life, have every food, no matter what it is, texture, whatever, taste like beets? Okay. Or hard-boiled eggs? Okay, so Kate knows I hate beets. This is an easy one. Hard-boiled eggs. I didn't Hard know beet. you hated beets. Oh, beets are revolting. All right, so we're going to change Beets are disgusting. Pickles? Pickles or beets? I mean, pickles. sorry, pickles or eggs? Uh, everything I eat ever tastes like 
pickles or hard-boiled eggs. Yes. Okay. Question. When I eat the eggs, do I get the uh, concomitant in, in, intestinal distress? Oh, right, because you have a thing with eggs. So only if you eat eggs that in real life, because they're, you know, only if you eat eggs. Right. But other things will taste like eggs, but won't cost me to. Yeah. So if you eat like a sandwich. Okay. Then I'd pick eggs because I think eggs are a milder flavor. Okay. Well, here's something okay. though. Every food maintains its texture though. So you're eating like a peanut butter sandwich and it feels like peanut butter in your mouth, but it tastes like eggs. That's okay. Eggs. Okay. Are you sure? Eggs. Yeah. You're eating steak. It tastes like eggs. That's fine. People put steak and eggs together anyhow. You're eating soup, and it I tastes would say like a eggs. A steak that tastes like eggs—that's the next step on the evolutionary chain for steak. <laughs> that's like the X mu- X-Man mutant power of the next uh, evolutionary step for steak is uh, egg steak. You're not lying. Okay, so Kate. Yes. Would you rather the rest of your life? Because you know I'm big on west- rest of your life. Would you rather?s Yeah. Rest of your life. Every time you floss. It bleeds like that first time you floss when you haven't flossed in like two weeks. Okay. Okay. And, and it hurts like that. Okay. okay. Or rest of your life, you have incurable, uh, incredibly funky and dank and moist foot odor. It's floss. Really? So you'd rather just be bleeding from the mouth constantly? Yeah. Well, I already have sensitive gums. Oh. <laughs> I do. All right. I mean, legitimately. So, yeah, that's and it, I, I like guess. the pain. So in my world, I eat nothing but egg steak, and you are old bloody mouth. (laughs) Bloody mouth Matthews. Yeah. So for bloody mouth Matthews, I am egg steak Lucas. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for spending some time with us this week, and uh, we hope you'll spend uh, an hour or so with us next time. Thank you for listening. That needs to be a comic book. Jesus Christ, Kate. What the fuck were you thinking? Yeah.